Well, about 10 years ago, I guess, maybe the young people can help me out with this, but about 10 years ago, there was this popular expression that was going around. It was called, you only live once. Now, specifically, they wouldn't say you only live once. It was abbreviated Y-O-L-O, if you've ever seen that anywhere, and they would say YOLO. Now, typically, the way YOLO was used is someone would take a picture of themselves doing something, you know, adventurous. Maybe they would have bought something really expensive or be doing something even dangerous or risky. And then below that picture, they would post, it would show hashtag or the number sign, if you don't know what a hashtag is, hashtag YOLO, okay? And it kind of went out of style. You don't really see that as much as you might have saw a number of years back. But the expression, it kind of reminds me of a more traditional expression. You've ever heard people say carpe diem, which means seize the day. And it's the idea that here we are, we're living, and the day in front of us is the day to do something. Because tomorrow's not guaranteed. So let's seize the day. And it can be a positive thing, it could be a negative thing if you think about it. But the fact that we only live once, it can lead people to make responsible choices with the time that they have, knowing that the choices that they make today will affect their future. And they only have one future. And what they do today for good or bad, will have long-term consequences. What's interesting is that you saw a lot more examples of people posting really expensive and extravagant vehicles that they couldn't afford, hashtag YOLO, than you would have saw pictures of people showing themselves paying off the last of their student loans, hashtag YOLO, but um, so be it. Well, today we're going to look at the book of James 4, and we're going to be looking in 13, verses 13 through 17 in James chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at what it teaches us about planning and the will of God. Now, we're beginning a new year today. It's a time that people often reflect upon the last year. It's a time that we reflect upon things we might have done differently. But also, we're putting the past behind us and we have a new start. It's a new year, a new calendar year. We can have a new budget. We can make new goals, new plans of what we would like to see happen in 2023. What we would like to do differently with our lives so that when this year ends, we can look back on the year and, and feel that it was a success. Um, it doesn't take a love of God, though, or spiritual maturity to see the need to use our time and our resources more um, appropriately, right? It doesn't really take any sort of spiritual discernment to do that. Everyone, Christians otherwise, recognize that life is short and that we only have one life to live. And there's a, there's a sense in which we, we recognize our limitations as humans and we want to make the most of those. Um, maybe the most number one uh, New Year's resolution has something to do with health, right? We want to lose a little bit of weight. We want to get, get onto an exercise plan, get into some sort of a healthy eating plan so that we can, I don't know, maybe that we feel like we'll look better when summertime comes around. As you often hear people talk about having a beach body and they want to look good in a swimsuit. And so often, even what starts out as a spiritual thing to want to honor God with our bodies so that we can more fully serve them is often motivated just out of a desire to have status among other people, to look good, to compare ourselves to other and feel better about ourselves. But see, what's often behind that health, getting healthy or getting better at this or that is often a desire to glorify ourselves. Now, I think as we look at James 4, 13 to 17, we're going to see that because our earthly lives 
are a mist. We should surrender our lives to God's will. Because our lives, because our earthly lives are a mist, we should surrender our lives to God's will. So let's turn to James 4, verses 13 to 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can look up James 4. If not, it's up on the screen for us to uh, see together. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there in trade, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I think the first thing we see in this passage is that uh, we are not masters of our own fate. We're not masters of our own fate. Now, in this passage we looked at, it describes traders who had these plans, not traitors, traders, like businessmen, right? <laughs> traders who had these plans for what they were going to do. And they were very confident in the outcome, that they were going to go to such and such a place, and they were going to do business there, and they were going to make a lot of money, right? Now, I think the issue with their plans wasn't that they had a bad business model or a bad business plan. I don't think they were being reckless, on the contrary, think about where J James goes in chapter 5. In James chapter 5, James begins describing those who are rich and gives warnings to them. Well, if they're rich, presumably they've done some things to get rich in the past. They've probably been successful in some way or another in their business transactions to become rich. Um, see, the thing is that past success, what of whatever source, whether it's of earning money, whether it's in our careers, whether it's in our hobbies and our interests, whether it's in the perception that other people have of us, whatever our past successes are, and however we define them, they often lead us to be overly confident in our own abilities. I think that this is why there are so many warnings about being rich in scriptures. See, when we have absolutely nothing and we're struggling to know how we're going to feed ourselves the next day, something that we don't really experience as very often in America. But when we have nothing and we're struggling just to survive, it's a lot easier to sense a need of God, a constant dependence upon Him to be sustained day in and day out. But when we have worldly success in some sort of things, when worrying about what we eat, when we could literally just quit our jobs and not run out of food for months, we, we can easily forget our constant and continued dependence upon God. And the more wealth and the more possessions and the more success we have, the more even just the potential for success. You know, if you're really, really good at something and you have a real, a real talent and a trade or a skill that you know you could go out and get a job doing something and make lots of money doing the more dependent upon our own abilities we, ha we are, or the potential we have, the easier it is for us to lose sight of our continued dependence upon God to provide. It reminds me in Luke 12, 
In Luke 12, 16 to 20, Jesus gives this parable where there's this man, he had a lot of, he had a lot of food and things, and he, he had barns and stuff, and he had this idea, he's going to tear down all the barns he has because they're not big enough, so he could build bigger barns so that he can store all the grain that he has. And then it says his plan then was after he got all these new barns built and stored all the stuff in them and had it all, he could just kick back and relax, you know, chill, eat, drink, be merry, and not worry about anything. But in this parable, God says to him, you fool, for this night your soul is required of you. See, in this parable, this, per- this man had all these things, he had it all stored up, yet he could not even protect his own life. That very night, his soul would be required of him. I contrast this to Psalm 31.15, where David says this. He says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. You see, David, David recognized he was not master of his own fate. No matter what his military successes were, no matter how many people he had following him, whether the world looked bleak and he was running for his life or he was conquering, that his life was in God's hands and his times were in God's hands. Now, we've probably all done the what would you do if you won the lottery mental exercise. Has anyone ever done that? You know, you think, what would you do if you won the lottery? I've done it. We probably all have Um, But what do we usually do? Well, our goals might be a little bit differently. We probably all start by getting rid of our debt, if we have any. We'd get rid of our home loans and things like that. Maybe we'd get a new car if we were driving a clunker. Maybe we'd go on that vacation that we always wanted. Hopefully most of us wouldn't be wildly extravagant. But what's the number one thing people say when they talk about what what would be great about winning the lottery? They would say something along the lines is, I don't have to worry about money anymore. Right? I don't have to worry about money anymore. Because when we have all the money we could deal with, we could do whatever we want. We don't have to worry about what we'll eat tomorrow. We don't have to worry about keeping our jobs. We don't have to worry about all the things that come along with life, at least the things that can be solved with money. But isn't that, doesn't that reveal something about the human heart? That what appeals to us most about the idea of winning the lottery is not worrying about things out in the world. We don't have to then place our trust in God to provide what we need the next day because we are content with what we've stored up for ourselves or what was just given to us in a windfall game like the lottery, that we don't have to worry about things of the world because part of our hearts is we don't desire to depend upon God. And I think in this parable in Luke and today's passage in James, I don't think uh, James was criticizing the man's preparedness, per se. Um, I think it was the arrogant trust that he was placing in his ability to accumulate things. I think we can see in this passage that unpreparedness is not a virtue. Unpreparedness is not a virtue. As we get back into James 4, verse 15, after saying, you know, after making a point of giving that hypothetical example about these businessmen that had these plans to go and make money in another city. He says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say this, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So it was a contrast to the the hypothetical plans of the arrogant businessmen in the beginning of verse 13. So the issue wasn't making plans or seeking a profitable business. 
initiative. I mean, we all do this all the time. If you have a job, it's par- 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 probably be because you recognize that it's a more profitable use of your time to work than watch TV all day. There's a profit motive because you recognize that your time has, time has value, and so you, you believe it's more profitable to work for an income than it is to sit and watch TV all day, right? Hopefully. <laughs> um, or if, it's, if you're in school and you're getting an education, you're, you're recognizing that you, if, if you invest a certain amount of time and money into your future, into your preparation, that's, that will be an investment into something that will earn you more money when you are finished with your schooling. If you're in a trade and you've had to purchase a bunch of equipment and maybe a vehicle in order to do the trade that you do, it's because you recognize the profitability of that activity. So notice that James did not say, twiddle your thumbs and then whatever happens, happens, and then just trust the Lord in that. No, um, he said, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. See, Jesus and G- James, were, they were not commanding believers to live paycheck to paycheck, necessarily, nor were they saying that those that save money and who are profitable are engaging in some sort of sin, but rather the attitude of placing our trust in those things. That's where the sin comes in. You see, the next thing we see is planning is godly if not held tightly. Planning is godly if not held tightly. I really wanted that to rhyme, but it doesn't. It's close. Planning is godly if not held tightly. See, James gave one test. It was if the Lord wills. Now, notice the almost clumsy sentence. I'm going to read that sentence slowly. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We will live and do this or that. The believers were always to remember that even life itself wasn't guaranteed, that they needed God to continue to sustain them. It reminded me of a a mentor of mine who was a pastor for a really long time, and his retirement plans was to earn a degree so that he could uh, go into counseling and do that part-time. And just around the time, just after he finished his degree, he actually passed away. And yet, so his time was in the Lord's hands, and now he's faithfully in the Lord's presence. But for you and I, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. See, the believers had to remember that even life itself wasn't guaranteed if it wasn't the Lord's will. In Romans 1.10, Paul highlights um, his attitude about planning. Paul was a planner. He he said to the believers in Rome, asking somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. See, though he desired to see them, the Romans, he recognized God had called him to certain works, and his willingness to go there was based on if it was God's will. And now this is great news. For all of anyone here a planner who likes to plan and likes to have things, this is good news for you, you planners. Those with the spiritual gift of administration are typically good planners, right? They have the ability to think ahead. They can strategize a good plan of action for tomorrow and and the next day. See, being good at identifying potential risks and obstacles is needed in the church. This is a really, really good thing that we have people who are good planners in the church, in the kingdom of God. 
But the key is that when the Lord leads, are you willing to let go of those plans and allow him to help you form new ones? You see, doing the right thing will disrupt our plans. Doing the right thing will disrupt our plans. Now, sometimes the right thing won't be revealed to us ahead of time. I think of 1 Corinthians 16, 7-9, where Paul says this. He had to postpone the visit he wanted to do to the Corinthian church. He said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened for me. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit will even lead us to delay or cancel otherwise good things because of something that he wants us to do, that he has not revealed it to us until this very moment. I think of the, the, um, Jesus' teaching on the Good Samaritan. Are you familiar with the Good Samaritan? Where um, the Samaritan man was willing to have his plans disrupted because as he was going, he came across a person who was injured and harmed laying in the street, and he had to stop whatever his plans were in order to show love to this person. Yet the religious leaders saw this person from a distance and just avoided them because they didn't want to have their plans disrupted. They were, on a, they were on a mission to do their plans. They were not open to having their plans changed in order to show the love of Christ to one in need. You know, you and I, we might wonder, well, how do we know what the right thing is? Sometimes it's obvious, right? Some, I mean, if the Bible says don't do this, God's word is clear that we're not to do something. Well, that's easy. We just don't do that thing. That's clearly God's will. But oftentimes... I think we forget that there are sins of commission, sins we can commit, but there are also sins of omission, things, good things that the God, God wants us to do that we refrain from doing. And I think a lot of times it's easier as Christians to check boxes of the things that we're not doing, the things that we're not supposed to do, but oftentimes we neglect those sins of omission, the things that God has called us to that he puts right in front of us that we fail to do. See, knowing God's will, knowing God's will comes through seeking and obedience. Knowing God's will comes through seeking and obedience. Jesus said in John 7, 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Notice uh, Jesus says, if anyone's will is to do God's will. Now, let's just stop here for a second. This may seem like an obvious question, but is it your will to do God's will? Is it your will to do God's will? I have to ask myself that question a lot. Or are we merely hoping that what you'd like to do or what I'd like to do doesn't bother God. We got a plan. We want to see it through. We, we want to do what we want to do. And hopefully God won't mind. Or is my will to do God's will? Is your will to do God's will? That's a question I have to ask myself a lot. I think too many of the decisions we make in our lives are made without any seeking at all from God. The homes we buy, the cars we buy, the jobs we take, the possessions that we tell ourselves we need, 
the activities and the hobbies that we say yes to. If you think about it, most of our time, most of our money goes to things that are not inherently sinful. Right? It's not sinful to own a car, we need a vehicle, right? It's not sinful to own a home, we need a home. It's not sinful to have hobbies. It's good to have things to do to relax. But if you think about it, most of the time, most of our money goes to things that are not sinful. They're things that they're just part of our lives. And yet often, I think we make a lot of our decisions in these things. The vast majority of our time, the vast majority of our money, we make decisions with these things without bringing them to the Lord in prayer. You know, um, we might say things like, hey, that expensive thing we want, hey, it's got a really good use. So it's not sin, it's not a sin to own this particular possession, so I'm just going to go buy it. I'm going to put it on a payment plan, I'm going to get it because it's desirable. Right? Or that activity that looks fun. Well, I'm going to do that because I enjoy doing that. Without thinking about how we're using our time as a resource that belongs to God. Or my child wants to do this activity. So I'm going to encourage my child to find their identity in that activity. And our entire family is going to structure everything we do around this activity. Because it seems desirable and it seems good. And we like cheering on our kids and want to see them be successful. See, a good example is, it's not sinful to join a bowling league, is it? I don't think so. I like bowling. I've never joined a bowling league, but I wouldn't, I would be open to it. <laughs> not very good, though. Um, but it might be a good opportunity to meet some non-Christians, right? Like a lot of activities we do. Um, but yet, for your personal situation, that may not be what God has for you at this point in your life. Maybe, it's be, maybe if you have activities every other night of the week, and you have family responsibilities, if you were to go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, do you really want me to join this bowling league? You might not like the answer that you hear. So oftentimes I think we make decisions with our time and money based on what we want to do. We, we don't want to take them to the Lord in prayer because he might tell us, you know what? Um, I don't think that would be, he might tell us not what we don't want to hear in those situations. And how often I, I have to remind myself, do we, I make significant choices with my time and money and fail to ask God for guidance? Do we spend time asking God to reveal to us what's really going on in our hearts in those moments when we're making those major life decisions or those small life decisions that add up to all of our time, all of our money? Sometimes even when we are seeking God's will, Think about this. Even when we are seeking God's will, we can miss what it is he's doing right in front of us. It makes me think back to when uh, Pastor Marv preached through the book of Acts, and he was in chapter 21. And he, the church of Tyre, they had discerned correctly from the Holy Spirit that the apostle Paul was going to go undergo persecution if he were to go back to Jerusalem. And they begged him not to go. But then Paul told them he was ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Yet the people's hearts were soft, and they were able to see that what Paul was saying was the will of God. And what's really cool is that later on, both Paul and them got to, would, have, would have realized that, Paul, that God used Paul's trip to Jerusalem to be a witness, and that him going to Jerusalem and led to him being sent to Rome, and it offered 
opened up many doors of ministry along the way. So they got to see later why it was that God was sending Paul to Jerusalem to suffer. See, next we see that God reveals what we need for obedience, often revealing the reason. God reveals what we need for obedience, often revealing the reason. Now, sometimes, like we just said, that reason isn't revealed right away. And while God sometimes doesn't give us the reason right away for obedience, he often gives us insight into his plans at a later time. Think about what James said in, earlier in his letter. In one five. he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And I think sometimes we miss what God's will is. It's not because he's not willing to give it to us. It's because we fail to ask, we fail to seek. We focus too much on the problems that are right in front of us, the problems that we are experiencing. Quite often, God's using us, especially when we're willing to be used as a blessing to others during those times of struggle, during those times of difficulty. I think of Jesus saying to his disciples in 1515 in John, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the, his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Yet whether we have a clear insight as to why God calls us in a particular situation, we can know that his will is good. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, the will of God comes from the heart of God. The will of God comes from the heart of God. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.17, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I think this gives us hope that when our obedience seems to produce difficulty and stress and problems, when our obedience brings those difficulties into our lives, God can bring good even out of those difficulties. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember that Jesus submitted to the Father even going to the cross. And sometimes God leads us to endure difficulties and hardships in order to help others. Just as he has at times led others to endure hardships and difficulties to help us. Now maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you came to faith later in life. But either way, I bet you can think of people who made major sacrifices in order to share the love of Jesus with you. Um, I think about the Sunday school teachers who had to deal with me and my friends. And they would come week after week, year after year to teach us when we were often not very obedient, not very attentive. Or the youth leaders. Uh, I could, my youth group, when I was in youth group, it was just a, oh my, I, have to make, I won't go into it, but we used to put our youth leaders through a world of hurt, just to say that. <laughs> but I think back of all the different people 
who endured difficulties and hardships, who made sacrifices in their time in order to show the love of Jesus to me and my friends. I'm sure you can do the same. Think of people in their lives who have made sacrifices. In many cases, those people were going through their own hardships. They were going through their own difficulties and challenges. And yet they, they remained steadfast because they knew the heart of God. They understood the, the heart of God to seek and to save the lost. And they were steadfast in their devotion to him. So it really comes down to why is it that we sometimes don't seek after the will of God? Why do we fail to do the right thing when it's laid out before us? I think sometimes we, we forget that we're not as free as we think we are. We're not as free as we think we are. Now, from our human understanding, we seem to constantly have choices before us, don't we? I mean, right now, I have a choice of how I'm going to use my afternoon. The plan is to go back, tear the Christmas tree down, put everything up in the attic until next year. I, have, I don't do a lot of long-range planning, but I have some plans in mind for tomorrow. We'll see if I actually get to do them. But remember what James had said. He said, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We probably can all think of a time in the last month, the last day even, in which we had plans to do something. Something we were very, you know, we were very planned and very organized, and the, what we were going to do we couldn't do because of something that unexpected that happened that totally messed up our plans. Anyone experienced that in the last day, last month, last week? I'm sure we all have. And um, there's a bigger, though, I think there's a bigger misunderstanding about um, what we're free to do than just the fact that there's uncertainties in life. As we already said, it doesn't take following Jesus to recognize that life is uncertain. Psalms 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. In layman's terms, everything is the Lord's. You are the Lord's. I am the Lord's. We belong to God. That is true even if we don't believe in him. We're, we are his to do what he wants to. We don't belong to ourselves. And for us believers, we were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. The fact that God doesn't seem to currently force us into robots to do certain things or force us to not do other things, it doesn't mean that we're entitled to disobey him. Now, when we talk about rights as citizens in like a country, we're talking about a vastly different things. We're talking about how we treat one another. I can't do what things, certain things to you, and you can't do those things to me. I can't stop you from doing this, and you can't stop me from doing that. And it's a, it's a mutual contract between one another that we, we're comparing ourselves to other people, and we're saying what rights we have among one another. But the relationship to God is totally different. That everything that we have, our very lives, belong to him, whether we like it or not. You know, when I leave church today, I could theoretically, if I wanted to, I don't, thankfully, I could theoretically drive 100 miles an hour down Warren Road, right? I probably would wreck. Um, but I wouldn't have a right to do that 
and neither do you because the law says so. But what if the law was different? I think Montana doesn't have a speed limit. Even if I was legally allowed to drive 100 miles an hour on Warren Road, um, I would not be morally justified before God because I would be doing something selfish and risky and harming and potentially harming one of his children. I would not have the right before God to do such a thing, even if the law said I was entitled to do so. That God grants us some ability to choose our actions doesn't mean that we're entitled to disobey him. Whether we are okay with the consequences or we're not okay with the consequences. It, we're, we, we're, uh, we're told in Philippians 2 that, every, that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Everyone will confess that. Whether they are happy about it or not, everyone will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of this, we should invest our lives in things of eternal significance. We should invest our lives in things of eternal significance. See, I said that this time of year, we often do make resolutions, don't we, for what we'd like to change in the new year. Having plans is a good thing. We've said that as well. Taking our health seriously, being more intentional with our spending, being more intentional with our time, being more intentional with the choices that we make, and having a plan of action are all good things. We would be wise to be more productive people. Yet with all of our planning, are we submitting our plans to the Lord? Or are we just making our plans and then hoping he doesn't mind? And not really listening to hear if he has any problems with them. Are we actively doing the good that he's calling us to? It's not just about, like I said, it's not just about the sins of commission. It's the sins of omission. The things that he's calling us to do, are we willing to listen? Are we seeking to hear the good that he wants us to do right in front of us? Remember James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And Paul said in Philippians 3, 13, he said, Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, as believers, we have the privilege of receiving the Lord's mercies every single day. We get to start afresh, not just on New Year's. Now, if we do the whole New Year's resolution thing, I think the top of our list should be our spiritual growth. And that's why Pastor Marv had mentioned uh, we're going to be beginning that series again in Mission 119. It's an app you can download, and it takes you through the Bible with different devotionals in about a year and a half. Now, if you've struggled with to have a consistent time of devotions, that would be an awesome New Year's resolution. And we would invite you to join with us in that, or... We would encourage you to find another reading plan of sort and prioritize in this new year making time for the Lord. But to warn you, that might require saying no to some things. When we start making space for the God, we sometimes have to say no to other things. But I think the other danger is that we can treat our spiritual growth like it's just, it's just us and God. It's just up and down, us and God. Um, but our spiritual growth Part of our spiritual growth comes through serving and loving others. That was the mission that Jesus gave the church as ambassadors for Christ. Our spiritual growth is not separate 
from loving and serving others. They're, they're, they're one and the same. And so we need to remember, as James tells us, that our lives are a mist. That we need to surrender our lives to God's will. And as we evaluate our plans for this new year, may we seek the Lord and submit our plans to him, doing the good that is in front of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious to us. We thank you that your mercies are new. And we praise and thank you that you give us these times like New Year's Day where we stop and think about how we are leaving our lives. We pray, Lord, as we make plans for the new year, as we make plans for this week, we would always be seeking to do your will. We would always be bringing the, both the big decisions and the small submissions under your submission, knowing that it's your heart to, to do, it's, it's from your heart that your will comes. And so we ask you to lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.